We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, friends. Father, here we are again this day, coming in your presence. Thank you that your promise is to inhabit the praises of your people. So that, Lord, when we praise you, we feel your presence. When we lift our eyes up to heaven, Lord, you delight to smile down upon us. In fact, you delight to rip the heavens open, to rend them so that heaven and earth can touch in this place that you've called the church. And so Holy Spirit, we're asking for fresh anointing this morning. Rend the heavens even further. Open them up so that Lord, all of us can taste and see not an idea called God, but a person, a father, a son, and a spirit who knows us and loves us And who's called us into deep intimacy, into expanded authority, and into multiplied mission. And so this day, have your way. We say yes. Yes, Lord. Our eyes are on you. Yes, Lord. Be glorified in this place and in every church that bears your name. Pour out freshly this day. For your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So question as we get started this morning, how many of you have ever been lost, lost in your lifetime? Wow, look at all the hands that have gone up. How many of you have never been lost in your lifetime? There's always two, there's always two, seriously, yeah. You were lost, you just didn't know it, okay? So when I was three years old, uh, my family took a trip to SeaWorld and I got lost at SeaWorld. Now, depending on who you ask to hear the story from, you'll hear a different rendition of the story. If you talk to my mother, she'll tell you about how we grew up. We have four, I have three siblings, just four of us all together, how she was responsible for my two older sisters and my younger brother. She had the baby carriage. She had the diaper bag. Apparently, she was also towing the car and our home, and she had all sorts of stuff on her. There's no possible way she was going to be able to look out for little Billy. That's me, by the way, right? And so... 
there was one responsibility for my father, and that was don't lose our son. So when he lost our son, that's when everything changed, right? But if you ask my dad, he would tell you he's slippery, that kid. Like, I had him the whole time. I, I swear, he greased up his hand. I looked down, and all I had was a stick. Like, he was gone. I, if you asked me what happened on that day as a three-year-old, I would tell you this. I never let go of his hand. I was just looking around at all the wonderful fish and all of the, the great sights. And all of a sudden, I look up, and the guy whose hand I'm holding is not my dad. And he's looking down at me as if I've done something weird. I'm like... You just inhabited my father. Like, right? So you have three different versions of what happened that day. But I can tell you, when the park ranger found me as a three-year-old and then begged me to tell him my name and offered me the world, said, you can pet Shamu if you tell me your name. And all I could do was tremble and cry. You know why? One, because I was afraid and I was three years old. But two, because my parents taught me from the very beginning, don't talk to strangers. This dude's a stranger. Right? So while the park rangers are tending to me, I can tell you something happened in my parents. They transformed not unlike the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> now, I want to tell you that for my dad, this was this very scary moment. Because my mom's, when, when she talked about Hulk smashing, right? So which is his, his line, Hulk smash. It was my dad that was going to get smashed, right? So he was scared of my mom, and my dad, because he was scared of my mom, turned his wrath on everyone else. So he went to the park rangers and said, close down the park. He's shown his badge. He's taken out his gun. I don't know about the gun part, but, you know, <laughs> go with me here. Like, shut everything down. My kid is not going to be taken from this place. They were completely undone. Undone. As you can imagine, you lose a three-year-old in an amusement park, you're terrified. They're overwhelmed with fear. And so you can imagine what the reunion was like when my parents walk in and I see them and they see me and we just hug and cry and my dad whispers a prayer, thank you, God, she's very strong, right? Like, <laughs> she was very angry, thank you, God, right? Like, we're going to leave as a family. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually going to leave the park walking and not on a stretcher, right? So... It's, the reunion was beautiful. Why am I telling you this story? Well, because this story approximates the heart of our Father for us. It approximates. It doesn't even capture the passion with which He pursues us. And in case you missed it, that's what our passage for this morning is actually all about. It's about Him pursuing His children no matter where they're at, no matter what's been done to them, no matter how far lost they feel like they are, he comes and he finds them there. And so for those of you who have gathered in this place or are gathered online and you feel like God doesn't see me, I'm all alone, does he really care? I want you to hear this from the very beginning. He cares more than you will ever know. And he's not going to let anything get in the way of finding you. So as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts, this is where we're going. And I want you to know where we just came from. 
Last week, our theme was we can bet our lives on the word of God. When Jesus speaks something to us, we can and we must bet our very lives on that. Not that we are always going to get it right, but he always does. Always does. And so we saw in Acts chapter 23, 11, when Paul was in prison, Jesus literally met him, physically came into the prison cell and spoke to him a promise. You're going to go to Rome to share the good news before Caesar and his household. Hearing directly from Jesus was all he needed to know. Because for the rest of that story, as we saw it unfold, and if you missed last week, we literally preached through four different chapters of the Bible, right? We went through that whole story so you could see this unrelenting storm, both of those that are physically in authority over Paul and of the world around, even the elements pursuing his boat as he's trying to get to Rome so that they can take him out. The physical and spiritual enemies that were after Paul were real. They were concrete. You could see them. And yet the entire time, what do we see Paul doing? In the middle of what was called a nor'easter, where there's no food on the boat, Paul gathers everyone together, and God provides miracle manna. Enough food not just to have the Lord's Supper with everyone on the boat, but so much left over that they had to throw it overboard so that the boat wouldn't sink. This is the provision of our God, even and especially in the storm that feels unrelenting, because don't miss this, it is unrelenting. But our God is bigger than the storm. Did I, see, did I hear an amen? amen? Did I hear an amen? He's bigger than the storm. And remember, this, is, this was our takeaway from last week. Rooted in what has been revealed, listening for what is being revealed, and obeying what Jesus tells us. Rooted in what has been revealed. Oftentimes, we look to the scriptures. The scriptures are our perfect description. It is the word of God. It is what we go back to. It is our foundation. Nothing we think we're hearing can contradict scripture because scripture is our foundation. Do not miss that. But as you're standing on scripture and developing intimacy with the Lord, he will speak to you beyond what you hear in scripture. Not contradicting scripture, but specific to you. To you. He is alive and personal and wants a relationship with you. And if that's new information to you today, or if that's scary to you, or if the other thing, if you feel like you've tried for a long time, to develop this intimacy, and it's just not working, can I encourage you to realize that there's more to surrender? There's more to surrender. It's not that God isn't speaking. He's waiting. He's patiently waiting for more surrender and perhaps more healing so that you can hear what he's already saying to you. That's where we were last week. Today's theme is simple. Nothing can stand in the way of God's heart to reach his lost children. Nothing can stand in the way. Hallelujah. We see as our chapter opens up that Paul is shipwrecked and immediately we see the favor of God at play again. Remember, when God's anointing is upon you and he's given you an assignment and he sends you on your way, all the people around you will be blessed as they walk with you. Right? We see that all throughout history, but we see it specifically in Paul's example where the people, the sailors on the boat would have been wrecked. They would have been destroyed. They would have died. But instead, they're saved because Paul's saved. Instead, they are 
they're brought all the way to Malta because Paul needs to get to Malta. Right? We see it again and again as favor. But here, as they get on the island, there's a fire kindled. And they have this unusual kindness from the, the locals there because God's doing something. Again, God's word never fails. Paul, you're going to go to Rome, and I'm going to get you there. And so when it's cold and it's rainy, I'm going to provide this fire for you. But then Paul's attacked. He's bitten by a viper, and the locals say, look, justice got him. Let me rephrase what the locals said. The gods came after Paul. The gods punished him. That's what they believed. They believed in the Greek pantheon, right, and the Roman pantheon, which is just an upgraded or different language for the Greek pantheon. They believed in the gods and this idea of justice that, look, he, was, he must have been a criminal. He thought he got away with murder, but the gods came after him and punished him for this. And you see in Greek mythology, Cerberus. Cerberus, if you are familiar with Greek mythology, you often see him as a dog with three heads, right? And you're like, oh, he's a dog. He's not a snake. Wrong. You may not know your Greek mythology well enough. Here's the thing. He's called the hound of heaven. So he's actually a snake, a snake's body, a snake's tail, snake heads crowing out of his back. But he's a dog with three heads because he's a hound. In other words, here's what they're saying in Greek mythology. When Hades is calling your name, they're going to send out this snake who's going to sniff you out and with one bite is going to take you down to Hades with him. And so when these folks on Malta see Paul bitten by a snake, who do you think they're thinking of? And what do you think they're thinking It matters that we see, friends, Scripture through the lens of their eyes, not our own. We bring our own worldview. We bring our own culture. And we think, oh, he got bit by a snake. That's weird. It's not just weird. It's intentional. It is the enemy of our souls declaring before all the watching world, even though God thinks he saved Paul, I'm going to take him out. I'm going to take him out. We see this happen in the Bible by a different name. Satan, who doesn't go around like a a serpent biting people, but he goes around like a serpent lying to people. It is the bite of that fear and shame that comes through that keeps us focused on ourselves and on the pain. This picture right here was from about seven or eight years ago. You can't really see it very well here, but my elbow is incredibly swollen, and there's a spot right in the middle, right there. You see it? That's where the black widow bit me. And can I tell you, it bit me during the day, I went to bed at night, and I woke up with my arm on fire. I thought I was going to die. It was so painful, it was throbbing. I got up out of bed immediately. I'm like, Christian, something happened. I don't know, maybe I overdid it. There's, something's wrong with my elbow. And we had no idea what it was. And thanks be to God that we got to the um, urgent care the next morning. Because if we didn't, I may not have an arm. And if I waited even longer, I wouldn't be here. You see, that bite on me kept me so focused on this pain. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think of anything else. I had to get it taken care of. This was my priority. Can I tell you, when the enemy comes and bites you with fear and guilt and shame, everything else steps to the background. You're so focused on what hurts and on the pain, you can't see past it. And you start to think things like this. Am I crazy? Is the world broken? How am I supposed to get out of this trap? Is this the only place I'm going to stay? Because you're so overwhelmed with this, you can't see past that. That's the venom of our enemy, friends. 
And it's what he wants to keep us focused on. I want you to realize that what we've just looked at in just the opening verses of this passage is a microcosm of our lives. You see God's favor poured out on Paul, and then the very next thing we read is a viper bites him. Right? Doesn't that feel like life? It's like things are finally going great, and then blah! Right? Like we fall off. Something happens. The bottom drops out. The rug gets pulled out. And we're like, why, God? Why is this happening? And you feel like God's somehow picking on you. Am I alone in this? Can anyone relate to that? So can I tell you some encouragement, friends? Your story's here. Did you see it? Your story's in the Bible. Written 2,000 years before you were even a thought in your parents' mind. It's here. Which means you're not alone and you're not, listen, uniquely picked on. God isn't out to get you. The universe or whatever language we want to use, right, isn't out to get you. We live in a broken world. And God allows for that brokenness to continue because, listen, when he comes back, it's all going to be made new. But he breaks in right now with heaven. And we're going to see that play out in our passage for this morning. I want you to see before we get there, though, that the spiritual worldview of those who are around Paul is revealed in the same way that ours is often revealed. Right? Because he's bitten by the snake and they say the gods must have gotten him. So they're waiting for him to die. Their expectation is that Paul's going to die, which means this. Listen, that viper, they knew what it was. They've seen him, the viper bit, bite other people before. It was a poisonous snake. So they're expecting Paul to swell up and die. And when he doesn't swell up and die, here's their conclusion. He must be a god because he was able to resist the venom of the viper. Do you see that? That's their conclusion. He must be a god. It goes from, wow, look at this murderer. He just got justice to, he's a god. That's amazing. That's their worldview. You know what we tend to do, when we, especially when we read stuff like this? We tend to say, well, that's ridiculous is what it is. That's the sort of craziness that gives people permission to bring out the snakes in church worship services, right? And like, like, get bit and let's see if you can resist. If you're hearing that today, please know that is not where we're going and that's not what this is about, okay? But please don't miss what this is about. If you're hearing this story and trying to figure out a way to make it natural, to remove the super from the natural, to remove the miracle, to make it much more manageable, then all of a sudden what you've revealed is your worldview that says this sort of stuff doesn't happen when, friends, it happens all the time, even in our world. When people who have been bitten, yes, by things like we just talked about, shame and fear and all sorts of guilt are set free from that. But also, when people are bit by things like cancer and HIV and other diseases that they have no business getting healed from, and God comes in and heals them. This sort of stuff happens all the time. I've already shown you the books. I've got two volumes of them. 10,000 miracles documented medically over the last 30 to 40 years. 10,000. That's just by one dude doing research. You don't have to take my word for it. It's happening all the time. It's happening in our midst, friends. We're seeing people healed physically, spiritually, emotionally every week. 
It happens. And so to the degree that we're wrestling with this, we're like, I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm open to this. I'm not sure that I'm for this. I'm not sure that this happens. First of all, you don't need to be sure something happens when it already happens. This is God's world. It works his way. If you're like, well, that doesn't work. Okay, you can choose to believe whatever you want. But when God works a certain way and you close your heart to it, the only one missing out on it is you. And that's not why you're here. It's not why he's brought you here. He wants more for you than you think he does. He has more for you than you think he does. Where are you wrestling with your worldview that, listen, is absolutely revealing your heart? Because you know why we push back oftentimes against this? We say lots of things on the surface, but at the end of the day, here's why. Because we're afraid. We're afraid that this isn't actually for me. When the only reason why you're in these seats is because God says otherwise. Realize that this first century audience was more correct than they thought. They thought Paul was a God, but he was not a God, but he had a God inside of him. The Apostle John writes, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Right? Paul himself writes that the spirit that rose Christ from the dead is also the same spirit that lives inside of you. So Paul and all of us literally have a God living inside of us, which is why that viper that was sent to subvert God's word, to undermine God's plan for Paul, to take him out of the game, it had no power over him because Jesus had already spoken. Jesus' word is almighty and it never fails. He has all of the authority in heaven on earth given to him and even the demons bow to him. This is our Jesus, friends. This is our Jesus. It's why it matters and why we can bet our lives on what he says. I want you to listen to this passage from the the end of the Gospel of Mark. Because this is speaking to the disciples and to all of us. It's Mark's great commission. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. We're used to that part. Look over here. Look at me. We're used to that part. We're like, yeah, heard that before. That's in Matthew. Okay, let's keep going. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And you read this and this is a passage where some churches interpret and say, that's why we're going to pick up vipers. Please don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here, right? Or what Jesus is saying here, rather. Do not misunderstand. In the same way, Jesus is not saying, go out and do your best to get cancer so that I can heal you from it. Paul did not go picking up a viper on purpose. He picked up a viper that was sent to attack him and God freed him from the effects of the venom. We are not to put God to the test in these things. We are to trust him and to lean in and to ask for healing and to command the darkness to leave in Jesus' name. So, no, we will not be, amen, amen, no, we will not be bringing out the snakes anytime soon. To disappoint some of you, I see my father-in-law in the back, he was waiting for the snakes. He's a snake guy, he's a snake guy. What these are, friends, are signs of the kingdom. We've been talking about it for years. Signs of the kingdom, advancing and driving back the darkness is what our Jesus does. 
the gospel message is not and was never simply your sins are forgiven. It absolutely includes the forgiveness of sins. But it includes the forgiveness of sins because it is about the infection called sin being eradicated from all of creation. Not just us, all of it. New heavens, new earth. And so when we walk in the power of the kingdom, in the spirit of the king, crazy things happen that we call miracles when we open our hearts and our minds to them. I want you to realize that at the very same time we're saying this, friends, here's the temptation. We think, well, that means we're not going to suffer. All we need to do is pray. Please do not hear that. What, what, did, what did Jesus say to Paul at the beginning of his call to ministry? I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul heard from the Holy Spirit, everywhere you go, every city, here's what's waiting for you, persecution and suffering. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Do you see the balance? This is not about name it and claim it. This is not about a life without suffering. All of us have lived too long. You see all this stuff on the side of my head? This stuff right here? I'm not this old. Okay? <laughs> Every one of these has been earned by many of you in this room. <laughs> suffering, suffering, entering in, actually feeling it, knowing it, wrestling through it. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here, friends. We must have a robust doctrine of suffering because the Bible calls us to because Jesus was the suffering servant for goodness sake. If we're going to follow him he says we must deny ourselves, pick up our crosses and follow him. We're not denying a theology of suffering. We're simply saying what Jesus and Paul and James have said all along. That your suffering is not without purpose. That God is doing something in your suffering and what he's doing in your suffering is bringing you to the place of wholeness that you were always meant to be. And here's how God does that in the middle of your suffering. He draws so close that you can hear his voice. That you can feel his embrace. He touches your heart and he does the inner healing that matters most. And sometimes with that inner healing, friends, comes outer healing too. We gave testimony after testimony last week of people that were healed on both levels at that conference that the Lord led us to lead three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I can't remember now. I'm giving testimony after testimony in front of you every week of the same thing happening in our midst and many of you can testify to that same thing because it's your story. What does it look like for us to believe that God has purpose in our suffering, that ultimately this world, this broken world, is going to claim us unless Jesus comes back. So suffering will be a part of our story forever. But if all we have is a theology of suffering and not a theology of healing, we've missed the good news. We've missed the gospel that God does break in why does he break in? Because he's all about bringing the kingdom of heaven down 
to earth. He's all about demonstrating the power of resurrection in the middle of a very broken and dark world. He wants us to begin to believe that, friends, like we never have, because Paul clearly did. Did you get the rest of the passage that we just read for this morning? Not only was Paul saved from the viper, but the very, thing that, very next thing he hears is that the chief's father is sick with dysentery. He's dying. He's not going to live. Dysentery kills you, right? It dehydrates you. And all of a sudden, Paul feels like, okay, I'm going to go pray for this guy. He prays for him. And what happens? He's healed. And because the one guy is healed, the chief, they bring everyone in the village who has some sort of ailment, and they're all healed. Because the kingdom needed to come to Malta. So listen, zoom back out. Look at the big picture. There was a shipwreck, right? After two weeks of being caught in a storm that everyone thought was out of control, but God brought them exactly to the island that he intended to save. They all needed to hear the good news of Jesus in word and in deed, and they received him with open arms. Our God is not about doing magic tricks. He's about bringing the kingdom so the lost can be found, so the blind can see, so those in prison can be set free, so that the kingdom of God can be the kingdom of earth, the two becoming one like they were always meant to be. That day will come when we see Jesus again. But until that day comes, there is one place and only one that God has promised to break in with that power. Do you know what it's called? The church. The church. I don't mean a building. I mean a people. I don't mean an audience. I mean an army. An army of folks who have tasted and seen the goodness of this God in his power and authority, in his tenderness, in his care, who then turn around and share that same thing with others. That's the glory of our King. And I want you to not miss this. When we talk about nothing standing in the way, recap of the last couple weeks. What was in the way? The anger of the Jews who arrested Paul, the pride of the Romans, those in authority over him who would not listen to the gospel, the rage of the sea gods that were tormenting them for 14 days at the sea, the disobedience of the sailors when they were said, told by Paul, do not go, and they went anyway, and the attack of the snake. Why are we pointing this out? Because every one of us is on that list somewhere. And every one of us believes that because we're on this list, that's why we don't qualify for all the stuff we've been talking about. Our God is the Redeemer, friends. He's not waiting for us to clean ourselves up, get it together, and then he'll do awesome stuff in our lives. Wrong. He is calling us to himself so that he can do both the cleaning and the healing. That's who Jesus is. So don't miss it and don't get stuck there. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
This is the heart of our Father, friends. Don't miss it. Whatever you've brought in here today thinking it's keeping you from him, your sin, our enemy, even death, because death has been knocking in the lives of some of our loved ones in here. Nothing will ever be able to separate us. His pursuit is too great, friends. There's a book I want to put on your radar if you've not read it already. It's called In Order to Live by Yonmi Park. If you've not read this book, please get your hands on it and read it. This book is all about nothing standing in the way of being set free. Right? So Yeonmi escaped from North Korea. She grew up there believing the lies that they were the greatest country on earth, that they were rich and everyone else was poor, that they had awesome lives and what they were were actually completely oppressed by the communist regime of North Korea. For those of you, just as a sidebar, who who believe that socialism and communism are the way to go, economically or governmentally, please read this book. Please read this book. Here's the reality. She, she and her family are starving because there's no food. There's not enough food to go around. They don't have electricity. They don't have internet. They don't have access to the outside world. But they keep hearing that you can escape through China and get, get your freedom. And so they, they do the impossible. They get connections somehow, they get across the river, they get into China, and immediately in China, they're sold into sex trafficking. You know why? Because China, another communist country, you know what they do to their baby girls? They abort most of them. They put some of them up for adoption. Some of them they just throw away. And so you know what they have right now in China? A crisis. Too many men and not enough women. And so when you've got all these girls from North Korea that are escaping, looking for their freedom, you know what you do? You steal them and then sell them into marriage so that suddenly your poorer, your physically and emotionally broken husbands, now they have a wife. This stuff has been hidden underneath the radar for far too long and it is about time that as the church of Jesus Christ, we start speaking truth so that the world knows, so that folks like Yonmi Park know, right? That Jesus sees things differently and there is a different end to their story. Her story is eventually through lots of miracles, lots of them, she, and bravery and courage and everything else there. She gets her freedom, she goes to South Korea. She and her mom make it, hallelujah. But you know what they realize? The entire time they've been searching for her older sister who went before them. And they figure that she was also sold into sex slavery. And she was. And they don't stop looking for her. I think it's eight years. They don't stop looking. Even after her father dies. They don't stop looking. They keep going. They keep looking. Even to the point where, listen, her mother leaves South Korea and flies back to China. To the place of her imprisonment. To the place of her slavery because she's going to stop at nothing from finding her daughter. And when they find her daughter, all of it was worth it. All of it was worth it. I'm not going to give away all the details of this story because I want you to read it. But friends, this is an excellent picture 
of why this picture means so much to us. Of why the parable of the prodigal son means so much to us and why it resonates with our hearts. Because here you have the heart of a father who says, nothing's going to stand in the way of me coming to find you. Do you remember the story? Two brothers, an older and a younger. The younger brother says, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now so I can go and live the life. And he goes and he searches. He's the party one. He's the rebellious one. He does it all and he wastes it all. And when a famine comes in the land, all of a sudden he's on his last leg and he cries out, essentially to God, saying, even the, the pigs are eating better than, than me. I'm going I'm to go back, and I'm going to plead for mercy for my father, and I'm going to beg him to let me back in the family. And do you remember what happens? As he's walking back, he's expecting the father to give him justice. Did you hear the word in our passage this morning? But what does the father give him? Grace, mercy. He gives him love because he never stopped loving him. He was never saying, I'm going to give him what he deserves. He was saying, my son, my son, my son. And when he comes back, he takes off his own robe and puts it on him and his own sandals and puts them on and his own ring and puts them on. And he says, in every way, shape, and form, my son who was dead is now alive again. He is fully restored. And the entire village celebrates except for one guy. Remember who he is? The older brother. The older brother who's... In this particular case, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees, the religious, who thinks he gets it all right, who thinks they have their theology and ducks in a row, who thinks, I got this, and so there's no possible way that he deserves what he's getting there, and I want nothing to do with that. But here's the thing. To the degree that we think we don't need grace, we're offended by it when we see it given to others. To the degree that we know we need grace, we celebrate when we see others getting exactly what we know we need. Friends, that's the story we're often used to hearing when it comes to the prodigal son, but I want you to know there's another layer to that story that we oftentimes miss. Because you see, when the younger brother left, everything the father had belonged to the eldest son. And it was the eldest son's responsibility because he got the double portion to look out for his family and to actually administer the heart of his father, to do the will of his father. And so in no uncertain terms, here's how this story should have been written. The younger son ran off, and the father was heartbroken and couldn't find him and was looking every day at his door for his son to return. And his older brother packed his bags, took provision, and stopped at nothing from finding his little brother. That's how the story should have been written. How do I know that? Because that's our story. That's our older brother, Jesus. When God lost all of his siblings, we all rebelled. We all turned away. We all went our own way. And Jesus said, the heart of the Father is for you, and I will stop at nothing, even at the cost of my own life, from bringing you home. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. That's worth rejoicing over. He who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or demanded, but gave up everything and humbled himself, even becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2. And as we already sang this morning, for the Father so loved his world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish will have everlasting life. 
The good news of the gospel, friends, is that nothing is going to stand in the way of the heart of our Father to come after you. The question is, will you open the door to your heart where he's knocking? Revelation chapter 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, just open the door. I'll come in and we'll have fellowship together. I'll restore you to your place. I'll love you. I'll provide for you. Do you hear the invitation? For some of us in this room and online, we've never actually opened the door of our heart. And if that's you, I want to encourage you that today's your day. Today's your day to simply say, Jesus, I open my heart to you. I give you permission to come in. I invite you in. Come, be Lord of my life. I put my trust in you, Jesus. For other, others of us in this room, there are doors, rooms in our hearts that are closed and they've been locked for a long time. And we have been unwilling to let Jesus open that door because we're afraid of what he's going to find on the inside. Beloved, do you remember what happened with the, the disciples in the upper room when they had the door locked? Did Jesus just knock on that door or did he just walk right through it and scare the, the Jesus out of those guys? Right? Notice the pun, intentional. Right? Like, he walked right through the door. Let me put it to you differently. You're not hiding anything simply because you keep the door locked. He already knows what's inside. All you're doing is keeping your own heart from the healer. Some of you have been through a season of life where it just feels unrelenting. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You've made some really bad mistakes. You feel overwhelmed. You feel shame and guilt. God has not brought you here today to let you keep carrying that burden that Jesus already died for. He wants to set you free. Will you let him? Will you open the door of your heart and invite him in and let him do what only he can do, which is love you with the love you were made to know and set you free from all lesser versions of it to heal your heart to begin healing your body, to let heaven break in. Will you let him? It's a real question that I want you to think about and pray about and lean into even now. Let's pray. Abba, we praise you we praise you because we get to call you that, Abba, Daddy. It's not Lord. It's not Master. You are those things. But when you, when you invite us to speak with you, it's Abba. There's intimacy there, Lord. There's safety there. We don't have to go through this prepared speech of all the ways that we're sorry for what we've done, of all the things we're afraid of, of all the guilt and shame we're carrying, you simply run to us and you say, I love you. You are forgiven and restored. Simply making the decision to turn and come back. I love you. I've always loved you. And Jesus, we praise you that you are living testimony to just how big God's heart has been for us. 
This is the heart of the Father, that the Son would come and lay down it all to set us free from our greatest enemy, from that serpent himself whose bite causes death, but that serpent has been crushed under the heel of the, ser- of the Savior. And we declare the truth today that when we are in Christ, we are free, and we are free indeed. The Spirit is here. And so, Jesus, we praise you. And I pray that even now, Lord God, as we sing, as we lean in, that you would speak to us, Lord, of those places in our hearts where we have resisted you and therefore missed out on the very healing and love and embrace that you have died to give us. And so, Jesus, we honor you today. We praise your holy name. And we thank you that, Lord, nothing and no one can get in the way of your pursuit of us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.